you ever uh, thought to ponder what is going on in life now and uh, reflected on, okay, so in the midst of all of this, these uh, situations that I'm in, uh, what's my purpose? <laughs> what's, my, what's my real purpose here? Um, and, and then, you know, at the same time, you're thinking about what your purpose is in the day-to-day, but you're also thinking about, well, what's tomorrow bring? What, what, is, what is next month going to look like? What about next year? What about when I get through this particular phase of life or family? What's it going to be like? What is, there to, what is there to look forward to? Is there anything to gain in this life or even in what is to come? And I think we have an answer. We have an answer to this in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And of course, we have been, we have been going through this series from Philippians, um, and I've titled it The Gospel of Joy. And what I really want to do, and what my, my, my ultimate purpose in preaching this series and looking at Philippians over the last few weeks and in the next few weeks, the, the coming weeks, Lord willing, is that we can awaken in us such an awesome uh, awareness of God and the gospel and of what Christ has done for us. And, and that the gospel will fill us with joy. I want us to have joy. I don't want to keep... Now, I'm not saying you guys have sour expressions on your face. I, don't get me wrong. But I don't want to keep looking out at a congregation. Or I don't want to keep looking at myself in the mirror and not seeing joy. And seeing discouragement. Or, or seeing down depression and, and being downcast. And, and all of those things that we, we go through. I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want that for us. I want us to be filled with joy. And, so, and I want us to be filled with a sense of purpose, a sense of longing and a sense of hope in what is to come. No matter the circumstances. I say that all the time. No matter the circumstances or regardless of the circumstances because that's what we're fighting. That's the, that's the battle that we're fighting. We're dealing with stuff all of the time. Can we be joyful in it? Can we carry on? Can we see that God has a purpose for us in it? Yes, I think we can. So, let's look at Philippians together. So you can turn in your Bibles or in your devices or whatever you have there. Turn to Philippians, the first chapter. And we're going to begin at verse 18. Actually, we're going to begin a little bit further ahead. So if your Bible, like the English Standard Version, has paragraphs that, are, that sometimes break up the verses because um, that's a more natural place for um, the, the paragraphs to begin or to end. And, and by the way, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers were not in the original manuscripts of the Bible. Okay, so if you're wondering about that, what's going on there? What about these verse numbers? They're not inspired. Okay, they just they were put there by men about five or six hundred years ago. Okay, that's about it. So, um, so don't get too hung up on verses, but let's let's get hung up on meaning and what God wants to speak to us through it. So, follow along with me as I read aloud, beginning right in the last line or the last sentence of verse 18. Here we go. Yes. 
And I will rejoice, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, that word is so encouraging and is so full of meaning. Lord, help us in this, in this time this morning. We can't be here all day. <laughs> and we can't be here for hours and hours. But in the short time relative to our lives that we have today, Lord, speak to us, teach us, show us what you would have us to know, have us to learn today for your glory, yes, and for our joy, I pray, amen. Okay, so Paul says a lot of stuff here. And, and one of these things that he says is a, is a verse from the Bible that has been repeated over and over, that, that people have gone to, believers have gone to, for to find encouragement and to find purpose and to find meaning. And that's in, the, in verse 21 where he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In verse 21. I want to, I want to play off of that, that verse today and give you, the, and, and, and argue with you, and not argue, but show you that that's the main idea, that's the big idea of this entire paragraph, that everything is built off of. And I would state it a little bit differently. Let me state it fairly objectively for you um, and, and put it more into our context um, and, and, and state it as a principle. And I put it like this, that Christians are in Christ so that we, Christians, let's personalize it, so that we will live for Christ. We're in Christ so we can live for Christ. In Christ, for Christ. Remember that, okay, so in the last few weeks we've looked at Philippians, we've been looking through this first chapter, and Lord willing, we're going to get out of the first chapter, and we're going to go on to the other things, but um, we need to understand what Paul establishes here in this first chapter. Remember that he began his letter by stating that Paul, he, Paul and Timothy, the two of them, were servants of Christ Jesus. And then he, he directed the letter to the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. And we, we recognize there that there is joy in Christ Jesus. Since this is a letter that's, that deals with the gospel of joy, 
um, we argued that we ought to have and seek and look for and find joy in Christ Jesus, being in Him through faith in Him, through our love for Him, through what God has done for us because of Jesus. And then we looked at that, we looked at the way Paul thanked God for the Philippians and, and how he prayed for them. And he prayed for them and he thanked God because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about is the gospel. The gospel that was planted in their hearts, that took root, that they believed, that, they, that caused them to have faith in Jesus, and then it grew. And it helped them to mature. And it helped their love to abound more and more. They grew in knowledge of God and His ways. They grew in knowledge of Jesus and what He had done for them. And how that affected every area of their life. Not just their Sunday morning life. But every area of their life. And so that they could stand before God in the final day. Stand before Jesus pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. That their lives were, were, were growing and continuing to grow in Jesus. That was gospel progress that, that he found joy in. And then he turns to his own situation. And last week we looked at this a little more closely. What was Paul's situation? Where was he when he was writing this letter? He was in prison, right? Remember, he was in prison. He is imprisoned in Rome, waiting trial. He's waiting to, to, to stand before the emperor and to argue his case. And what is his case? He, his only defense is this. I'm standing here before you today because of Christ and because of the gospel. That is why I am here before you today. And so, let me share with you, this would be Paul speaking, let me share with you, he says, what Jesus did for me and what he means for you too. Can you imagine Paul at his trial? Now, we don't have that story. I wish we had that story written down here. We don't have it. But... The tradition and the history that was written outside of the Bible from the early church fathers and the historians of this time uh, said that Paul actually had a defense before Nero, one of the worst emperors in the Roman Empire, who at various times um, did very horrible things to the Christians. And so there's Paul going, I'm going to stand before this guy who hates Christians and is blaming Christians for all of the bad things that are happening in the city. And I'm going to stand before him, and I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to defend the gospel. I'm going to defend the word of God. I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to proclaim him. And we saw how he just took so much joy in that. He said, whatever happens, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the motives, Christ is being preached, and in that I rejoice so, now, what is he doing? He's reflecting on all of those truths, and he's bringing them to bear in his presence. So, what he, in other words, he's saying, so this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to hope for. And this is what I'm going to pray for. And this is what I'm going to expect. In other words, he turns from his past what God had begun in him in the gospel, and his present situation, where he is right now in prison, and he looks to the future. He looks to what he's going to do tomorrow, and what he plans to do months from that time, and what he will do in the future beyond that. 
Let's look at that together. And let me state these in, in three principles in succession. Let's look at the first one first. Let me put it like this. If we are in Christ, we will witness faithfully for Christ's glory. So look at those first few verses with me. Notice that Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice. Future. He said, He does rejoice in the past, and he says, Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to rejoice tomorrow too. And the day after that, I'm going to rejoice again. And the day after that, I'm going to continue to rejoice. Why? What, what reason does he have? He says, For I know. It's a statement of confidence. It's a statement of, this is something sure that I believe is going to take place. And what does he know? What does he know? He knows that, look at the last phrase of verse 19. He knows that this situation that he is in right now will turn out for his deliverance. That word is an interesting word, deliverance, because in other parts of the New Testament, it is, it is translated as salvation. And so, Paul is using this term for salvation, saying, I'm going to be saved from my imprisonment. He's not thinking in terms of his spiritual salvation, because that's already been established in the gospel. But he's thinking about his salvation from this Roman prison. And look at, look at how he, he, he expects that to take place. What will be the means of his deliverance? How is he going to be delivered? He's, he doesn't say... I know that I'm going to be delivered because an angel's going to come to me and release me from bonds and I'm going to walk out in the middle of the night and I'm going to be on my way. He doesn't say, I am going to, I'm going to develop an excellent defense. I, I, I'm raising funds to hire the best lawyers and I'm going to beat this thing. He doesn't say, I have studied the situation, I have studied my Bible, I have looked at the, the, the issues, I have crafted a, a, an, an amazingly powerful, heartfelt speech. He says that this deliverance is going to take place through your prayers and the help, it's an interesting word there, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Two things. He knows that he's going to be delivered through their prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That word help actually probably better, is better translated as supply or, if you like, presence. <laughs> that's not exactly the meaning of the word, but that's the implication that Paul is stating. He's like, not that the Spirit is going to kind of give him some zingers and, and, and just kind of zap some stuff or, or he's going to empower him, but that the Spirit lives in him because he is in Christ. If we are in Christ, we will witness faithfully to Christ's glory or for Christ's glory. If we are in Christ, and he, he knows he's in Christ, he's been stating that he's in Christ, that he's a servant of Christ, that he's there to advance the gospel of Christ, that Christ worketh, worked in him the gospel message from the beginning and will carry it on to completion. And now he's saying that the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who is present with him, who indwells every believer, 
is going to help him, aid him, and of course, yes, empower him, and of course, give him insight. But how is that going to happen? It's going to be through their prayers. He's saying, look, don't stop praying for me. If you stop praying for me, the Spirit stops working. Really? What a, I mean, isn't the, isn't the Spirit sovereign? Isn't God sovereign? He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't need us to pray for things. But that's not how God set it up. God, in His sovereignty, has ordained that we pray for our needs to be met. He has ordained, He has commanded, ordered, that our prayers will be effective. And so that's, where, that's why Jesus can say in Luke chapter 18 that He told His disciples a parable to the extent or to the point that they should pray and not lose heart. And not faint, as the King James Version says. In other words, not give up, not be discouraged. That they should pray. And so, Jesus prayed. And Paul prayed. And these were great people. And they did great and amazing things. And the Spirit worked in them. And the Spirit caused them to have boldness and to speak. And so that when they spoke, people heard and they listened. And they responded to the Gospel. They responded to their witness. And that's exactly what Paul is hoping for. Saying, pray for me, and if you pray for me, then the Spirit's going to be with me and present with me, and He's going to be my supply, and I will be able to witness faithfully and honor Christ and give Christ glory in my situation. And he thought about your prayers. When was the last time, aside from your maybe meal, a mealtime prayer, or maybe a bedtime prayer, which all of those are good and, and absolutely essential, that you prayed for the salvation of your loved ones. That you prayed for the salvation of friends or family or neighbors or co-workers and you got on your knees and you said I'm going to supplicate before you I'm going to put this request before you I'm coming before you God I have an urgent need and day by day you present that need to God in prayer there are people who are living and dying without Jesus in our neighborhood in our cities Will we pray for them? Prayer and the Holy Spirit is like, like when I walked in the door this morning and it was very dark and I was, happened to be, doesn't happen very often, but I, since I had the key, I happened to be the first person in. And I walk into this room and there's a little bit of light through there and I thought, well, let's get these lights on and I just reached over and I flipped the switch. And Suddenly, electricity surged through the circuit to the light fixtures, and the lights came on. And these lights, the bulbs are, 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 are healthy, they're good. It looks like they've fixed all the lights. Most of them, there looks like there might be a couple out over there. Um, the bulbs are good, the fixtures are good, everything's great. And, and everything's functional. But until that switch is flipped, 
until the circuit is engaged. <laughs> There's no power. There's no light. There's no electricity. It's not going to empower the, the sound and the instruments and the projectors and anything else. And that's essentially, that's kind of what the Spirit is like in our lives. That when we pray, we are activating the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives. He's there, He's present, and He works, and He's sovereign. And sometimes the Spirit overwhelms us in ways that we can't anticipate. And even we go, I didn't even pray about that, but Spirit moved, Spirit worked. But God has given us in the normal spiritual course of things is for us to pray and then for the Spirit to supply what we need. Look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, he contrasts two things. He says, not at all ashamed, <laughs> with Christ will be honored. So, so uh, not ashamed, but Christ being honored. Those are your options. Those are your two options as a witness. A witness who honors Christ, or a witness who is ashamed. Those are the, those are the options that Paul had before him, and he says, I, I expect and I hope that I'm not going to be ashamed. Because, and look at why. Four things he says to support Christ will be honored. He says he's going to do it with full courage. So he's going to witness courageously, is one way of putting it. Full courage. Absolute courage. Or boldness is another way of putting that. So courageously. And then he says, now as always. Now as always. In other words, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it in this situation, just as I've always done it consistently. <laughs> you, could, you could say he's going to honor Christ and witness consistently. And then he says that Christ will be honored in my body. That's in his presence, his physical presence. And, and, and you could say so you could take this little old Latin word, corporal, corpor, uh, or corporal, the body, and you say he's supposed to witness corporally. That's kind of a fun way to put it. He's going to witness in his body courageously, consistently, corporally, and then what's the last one? Whether by life or by death. Whether I live tomorrow or whether I die in the arena or on the cross or by beheading or whatever it might be, I am going to witness, what would that be? Um, continually. <laughs> He's going to continue to witness. He's not going to stop witnessing all for the glory of Christ. So let me ask you this. Let me put it to you this way, because I want to encourage you to pray, and I want to encourage you to witness. So would you do this with me? Pray for those who are far from God. Pray for those who are far from God. Who do you know? Some of us are like, do I have four non-Christian friends? I grew up in a church I have, most of my friends were in the church when I grew up. And then I get into ministry, and then I realize I'm hanging around with elders and deacons and, and ministry people and, and church plant interns, and, and, and I'm leading Bible studies and, and doing all And then I realize, do I even have four friends who don't know Jesus? 
So maybe what we need to do is start praying for those people and start finding those people to witness to. Some of you have dozens of non-Christian friends. Pray for them. Pray for anyone you know who's far from God. And then pray to witness boldly. Say, God, make me a bold witness. And then ask other people to pray for that. As Paul did in, in the letter to the Ephesians, he said, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I ought. Right? The mystery of the gospel. And he says, uh, he says uh, to or uh, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in chains. He was in prison at the time he wrote the letter to the Ephesians 2. And he's saying that I may declare it boldly. The gospel, boldly. We ought to ask others to pray for us as well. And so I'm asking you, pray to witness boldly. And also, pray for the witness of the church. Pray for the river church. Pray for the whole church and the people within it that we will all witness boldly and faithfully for Christ's glory. And then we celebrate that, we celebrate that with one another as well. All right, quickly, let's move to the next thing. Because the next point I want to, to show you in this, in this text is, if we are in Christ, we will believe, hopefully, for Christ's glory. We will believe, hopefully, for Christ's glory. So let me just clarify that. I'm not saying that we may or may not believe so that we, quote-unquote, we hope we'll believe. Um, it might happen. It might not. No, what I mean that is we believe with hope. That we, our hope is fully in, our, in what we are convicted of, what we know, what we believe from God's Word. And here's where verse 21 comes in. He starts... Paul begins talking about life or death, and then he says, let me just tell you about life or death and my perspective on it. Here it is. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does he mean by that? Well, let's see what he says here. For to me, to live is Christ. Look what he says. Um, living in the body, and then verse 22 says, if I'm to live in the flesh, now that word liter means literally the physical... Um, his physical existence, uh, the flesh and bones and blood and all, all that makes up who he is as a physical entity. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, okay, remember, live as Christ. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Okay? Fruitful labor. That means the work that he is doing is bearing fruit. What work is he doing? He is a minister of the gospel. He is an apostle. He's been sent by God to proclaim the message. He's been sent by God to sow seeds. He is like the image here of a, of a fruitful laborer is the image of Mark chapter 4 where, where Jesus tells us the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow some seeds and he scattered some seeds and some seed fell on the path. Some seed fell among the thorns. Some seed fell in rocky ground, and some seed fell in good soil where it produced a crop, where it bore fruit, where it was fruitful. And Paul is saying, I want to be a, a seed sower that is fruitful. I, so if I live, to live as Christ means that my life 
is bearing gospel fruit. People are coming to know Jesus. People are being encouraged in their faith. People are growing in their knowledge and their love of Jesus and love of one another and are growing to serve and love other people as well. And that's what it means to live Christ. And then he says, Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. What does he mean? Does he have a choice in it? Hey, Nero. I just decided, I chose, I don't want to die. So, just want to let you know, the trial's off, I'm going home. Does he have a choice in the matter? Yes, shake your head. No, he does not have a choice in the matter. So, what is he referring to? He's actually referring to his, his ultimate desire, his greatest desire. I, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, means which should I set my heart on? Which should I put my passions in? Which should I focus my attention on? Okay, this is very important. Very important that you capture this and that you understand this, that that's what he's trying to communicate. Because if not, we start to veer into this kind of morbidity of, uh, you know, it'd be a whole lot better if I just died. And it wouldn't be a lot, wouldn't it be better if just this life was over? I could just go on to the next world and go on to eternity and okay right i haven't gotten to to die as gain yet i'm about to get there but what i'm saying is what he's trying to say is which thing shall i desire to the point that i plan for it that i work for it that i i i focus my passions and my heart on okay verse 23 he says i'm hard pressed between the two he's in he's he's Pressed in between the proverbial rock and a hard place. Okay? He's, which, which should I desire? Because then he says, he says this, my desire is to depart. Okay? That is the phrase, to die is gain. To die is gain. Or profit. My desire is to depart. That means to die and be with Christ. Oh, so that's what he means by gain. That's what he means by profit. It's not, it'd be better if I was dead. Let's just end it all. It'd be better if I was dead. No. He's saying, if I die, I am going to be with Christ. That is far better for me. That is, I, if I had to choose, and I could choose, and desire one thing or another, that is definitely the better scenario for me. Think about it. To be with Christ in eternity. To worship Him. To know Him. To be in His presence. That's what he's talking about. To be with Christ. To be in His presence. That is far better for each and every one of us. But, he says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So to live in the flesh, to remain in the flesh, to live is Christ. It's more necessary. It's better. It's the better option for you. For your account. Not for my account. Not for my profit, but for your profit. Think through this with me. Paul is saying that if I live in the Christ, live now and I remain alive, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to have fruitful labor. It's going to be good for other people. He's not thinking of his 
Well, yes, he is thinking of his own situation. But what he's coming around to in his logic is that it's better for me to put others first. It's better for me to think of others before myself. It's better to put, um, to look not only for my own interests, but also to the interests of others so that they can grow, so that their love, as he prayed in verses uh, 9 through 11, their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And if I can live and be released from this prison, saved or delivered from this imprisonment, I can be with them, continue with them, and help them to grow. Well, that's what we're going to get to in a second. But the point he's uh, trying to make here in the center is that he's grounding all of his feelings about this stuff on what is true about being in Christ. If we are in Christ, our lives have purpose. If we die in Christ, our lives will have an ultimate future and an ultimate hope. Something that is not going to ever be fulfilled in this particular, particular life. You've probably heard the phrase, it's been said a couple different ways. On one hand, it began with, that person is so earthly minded that he's no heavenly good. Right? Oh, he's always thinking about this and that. And, and isn't that true? Isn't it so easy for us to do, to be so earthly-minded? What about my food? What about my money? What about my job? And what about this and what about that? And I'm concerned about all these things that we don't pay any thought to Christ. We don't pay any thought to God's plans and ultimate purposes and what he's trying to work out, right? But then one day, some clever knucklehead said, well, that person's so heavenly-minded, that they're no earthly good. Is it possible to be that way? Having your head in the clouds, being thinking about glory, just thinking, I can't wait to be with you. We sing the old song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Right? I was going to sing the melody, but I'll let you look it up. Google it and find it for yourself. Um, what a glorious expectation, right? Is it possible to be so heavenly minded, so focused on heaven that we miss what's going on here on earth? It, it is. It is possible. But what Paul is trying to express here is I'm here on earth for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of heaven. So you see how his heavenly perspective has influenced his own uh, life and how he lives it? Because how can we live for Christ if we don't have any concept of heaven at all? If we don't have any concept of anything outside of this existence? You can't live for Christ. You can't glorify Christ. You can't honor Him. You can't boast in Him if you have no thought to the future. If you have no thought to honoring Him. If you have no thought to the day when you'll stand before Him and, and say, and He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. So, this is a big, big truth. Our lives as Christians, as believers, are designed, are purposed to live for the glory of Christ. And our future, our hope, our expectation is that when we die, we go to be with Him. 
regardless of what happens to us, regardless of how painful, how peaceful, how gruesome the end of our lives happen to be, we will go to be with Jesus. We will be present with Him. That's worth reflecting on, my friends. It is worth reflecting on. But then look what Paul does. He believes, hopefully, absolutely, he believes this, but it causes him to focus his attention on what he's going to do now for God's glory. Remember, he said, yet which shall I choose? Which shall I plan for? Which shall I ponder? Which shall I make a, a choice in? And he knows that it's going to be now. So, let me challenge you with a couple of things from this idea, and that is this. Do fruitful work. You may have to evaluate your life a little bit. So I will challenge you on that. Look at what you're spending your time doing. Look at what your, your family is spending their time doing. And go, is this fruitful for me? Is this advancing the gospel? Is this helping me to grow in my faith, in my dependence on Jesus, in my, in my joy in Christ? Or is it advancing some, some other thing, something that's just distracting, me for, distracting us from what's best? So is the work that we're engaged in fruitful? I'm not saying we all have to be pastors or missionaries to do that. But... The day-to-day life of a believer, every believer, is meant to glorify Christ, to honor Him, and to be fruitful for kingdom work. The second thing is, let me encourage you to cultivate a heavenly mindset. Colossians 3, 1-3. If then you, are, uh, you have died with Christ, uh, set your minds or seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says that to, to these Christians who are struggling with a bunch of legalism, thinking, well, should we do this? Should we do that? Taste not, touch not, you know, do not. Um, put all these rules in our lives. That's going to help us to be better Christians. That's going to help us to be, live better lives. And he's saying, no, seek the things that are above. Think about Christ. Focus your attention on Him. Cultivate a heavenly mindset. I'm using that, that agricultural terminology on purpose. Fruitful work. And cultivation. And they kind of go hand in hand. Cultivate that mindset of focusing our hearts on the goodness of Jesus, the glory of God. Okay, finally, in the last couple of verses, if we are in Christ, we will minister joyfully for Christ's glory. Don't be afraid of that word minister. The word minister, as a verb, it simply means to serve others in the name of Jesus. You know, when you, when you hand out a Bible at Hopfest, you're serving, you're ministering. When you, when you uh, uh, help children do crafts at our kids' time or Hopfest or our summer children's program, you're ministering. When, when you hand out a, a bottle of water to a thirsty you know, uh, parade-goer, 
You are doing ministry. And he says, we will minister joyfully for Christ's glory. Look what he does. So remember, uh, Paul's wrestling. What is the best thing to do? Which one shall I choose? And he says, verse 25, convinced of this, I know, once again, he uses that same word from verse 19, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. He's got confidence in this. And, And you know what? Did he foresee the future? Did he know for sure that tomorrow he wasn't going to be dragged out there and he said guilty and he's going to be executed? I don't know. I don't know if he knew it like that. I don't know if he knew it in a prophetic sense, like he could he could see the future in front of him and he, he knew it. But uh, and, and the reason why I say it like that is because friends, we don't know the future either. We don't know what's going to happen. And far less than Paul. Paul may have had a revelation from Jesus, and Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to do this, you're going to do that. You're going to be released. And, and, and if so, great. More power to you, Paul. We're not Paul. We don't know the future. And so what are we going to do? Oh, no, I might die. Oh, no, this bad thing might happen. Oh, no, I'm concerned about this. No, let's do what Paul did. And let's plan to remain and continue to minister joyfully for God's Glory for Christ's glory. Let's do that. And so what did he do? He says, I'm going to, I will remain and continue with all you all. In other words, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to stay with you. We're going to have community together. We're going to live life together. And then he says it's going to be for or result in your progress and joy in the faith. And the word progress is the same word he used when he talked about the advancement of the gospel. The advance of the gospel in verse 12. So I really think what he's meaning is that the gospel is going to continue to grow in you. I'm going to be able to come back to you, and we're going to encourage each other, and we're going to grow together, and your joy is going to increase in Christ, in the faith that you have. And verse 26, what is the ultimate purpose for him coming back to them, um, their joy, their progress in the faith? Verse 26, so that in me, so that through me, is another way of you putting that, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. He keeps coming back to this glory in Christ Jesus. So that when I'm with you, and we're together again, and I come to you, and we we celebrate Christ together, and we study God's Word together, and we encourage one another, and we pray with one another, that you will not boast in me, You will not say to people, Oh, Paul is such a great apostle. Oh, he's such a great pastor. Oh, he encouraged me. Oh, he did this for me. Oh, oh, where would would we be without this man? No. Paul says, so that you will boast. That's actually the word being used here, folks, not just glory. You will boast in Christ Jesus. So they will say to people, Jesus is awesome. I have a friend tell you this really quickly. I have a friend who's an amazing musician, great singer, uh, was an associate um, music pastor at a church that we served in in uh, my military time. And I witnessed him, um, and, and I witnessed him following our Sunday morning worship gatherings. And he'd be up there playing and singing, and we'd do this, and he's, and he's a great guitar player. And people would come in and go, oh, man, that was, an, man, that was awesome. Wow, you, your guitar playing is great. And he, you know what he said? He had a smile on his face. He's like, praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Yeah, 
Awesome. Oh, thanks. Praise Jesus. And I realized that's not something I do very often. See, I was, I mean, I've played music before. I've performed for people. And, and I've had people say, hey, great job. Oh, good job. Oh, we love that. We love that. Oh, no, no, no. Now I was, now I was not a big deal. Or ah, I kind of messed up on that part. Or, well, I was thinking about doing this one song, but I did that one instead. What have I done? I've just taken, well, okay, I won't say that. I've just really, uh, I've totally thrown their, their gift and their compliment back in their face, and, and I've made it all about me, rather than to redirecting it to Jesus. So when people come to us and go, thank you for serving, we say, praise Jesus. Thank you for what you do. Or, oh, you did that so well. We say, praise Jesus. I boast in Jesus. I'm not boasting in my own efforts. I'm not boasting in what I do. Or I'm not even boasting in other, what other people do, except for to the extent that I say, I thank God for them and for their partnership in the gospel. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. And can we model that as well? Can we be all about boasting in Jesus? So let me ask you to do this. Would you commit to community? That was Paul. That's what Paul was doing. He said, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to return. I'm going to remain. I'm going to continue with you all, which actually those two words are, have the same root in the original language. In other words, he's emphasizing, boom, boom, I'm going to be with you. We're going to do life together again. I'm going to be released from prison, and we're going to be a community again. Will you do that? The fact that you're here in our worship gathering means you're committed to community. And we have missional communities to help us as well to develop that and to get us on mission with Jesus. And then, will you help people progress and have joined the faith? So, in other words, will you help others grow? Will you be in discipleship group with people? Will you meet one-on-one or in twos and threes of fours and and help people progress in the faith? You may say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to lead a Bible study. I could never do that. That's not what I'm saying. The fact that two or three gather together in the name of Jesus means that He's going to guide them, the Holy Spirit's going to lead them, and, and your presence, your encouragement will increase their joy in the faith. Whether you know how to teach or not. Help others grow. And then, finally, give credit to Jesus. Give credit to Jesus. Boast in Him. Give glory to God. So, Our theme for this message, Christians are in Christ to live for Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you living for Christ? He has lived for us. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has made it possible for us to have all of the promises of God to us. He has made it possible so that when we fail at these things, God gives us grace. And His righteousness is credited to us on our account. He was a faithful witness. He believed, hopefully. He ministered joyfully. I don't think there was probably any man alive who ministered and served more joyfully than our Savior Jesus Christ. Can we, through prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, do that as well? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for teaching us. I pray you will do a good work um, and continue it in us. Um, Father, we love you. We pray to you in your name, in the, son, in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. Amen.